You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. The title of my preach today is, If We Are Children, Then We Are Heirs. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I'll just read it for now, Rob, don't worry. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I've been thinking about this. Jeez, if we're children, then we are heirs. What are we heirs to? We're heirs to something called an inheritance, right? Okay, well, what is our inheritance? Like, what physically is our inheritance? Um, you know, we hear things like, grab hold of your inheritance. Don't squander your inheritance. Reach out and grab your inheritance. Get your inheritance. Inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. It's a big word. And it's easy to kind of look on earth and see what inheritance is. You know, a family member leaves another family member a property or a business or a car or your friend leaves a brisket. You, <laughs> you can easily picture what inheritance is. Inheritance is and comes into play when someone dies and then someone else receives it. But otherwise it sits as this promise. And when someone passes and someone receives it, that's when it has true value. And so I've been thinking, what exactly is inheritance in the light of the new covenant and the kingdom? I've been reading uh, lots of articles about how to get it, how to not lose it. And then every time I finish reading, I'm like, but what is it? Just tell me what it is. Maybe I'm reading the wrong articles. That's fine. So I've just kind of been going on my own little journey. And so that's what this morning I'm going to be speaking about. If we are children, then we are heirs. So I want to start with the parable. And it's one we all know very well. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And it speaks about inheritance. And uh, I'm going to read it. So in the Passion. So we're going to have it up there. Please follow along with me. It's full of juicy bits that you just don't want to miss. I just felt I wanted to read this because I think as, as I read it, things are going to drop into your heart that you're going to be like, wow, I've never seen that before. And so it's in Luke 15, um, 11 to 31. And just to give you a backstory. So Jesus is teaching... Okay, and there's very questionable people listening and pressing in. So much so, there's, there's people, th- their reputations cause the Pharisees to look on and say, shish, look at the people that Jesus allows to stand around him and to hear these words, you know. They try to discredit Jesus' teaching and who he was by the people that were around him. Interesting. These are the religious experts, the so-called religious elite of the time. So Jesus in this moment, and this is his time, he's got these strangers, he's got these um, Pharisees, and he tells three stories. He tells a story of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the one I'm going to read today, which is the parable of the lost son. All right, are you ready to go? So once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Now in those cultures... It was good as the son saying, you're dead to me, please can I have my inheritance, okay? And so the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagance and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land, and so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. 
The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Number seven, uh, verse 17. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me as one of your employees. This is known as his repentance speech, his I'm going to fix it speech. When I get home, I'm going to say, don't worry, I'll just be your employee. And so the son sets off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming dressed as a beggar. And great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son was returning home. Underline that, from a long distance away. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be... Uh. And the father interrupts him and says, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he was found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house... He heard the music of celebration and dancing. And so he called over one of the servants and said, What's going on? And the servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home, and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come and enjoy the feast with us. Now, in that culture as well, it was customary that when a father, when a household um, held a celebration, the older son needed to host the party with his dad. So this was just as a much of an offense to the dad. I'm not coming in. Come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never disobeyed you once? But you never throw a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you ever given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting all your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father said, my son, you are always with me and by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed. Because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now is alive and back with us again. He was lost and is now found. That's a good story, hey? How many of you haven't read that for a while? Sure, you've all read it lots. That's amazing. <laughs> so you have one son who has squandered everything in self-discovery. And you have this older brother who believed in some sort of kind of moral conformity to earn favor from his father. Both needed a revelation of grace, right? Would it be fair to say that the prodigal son's view of inheritance changed over that journey of his? Like, let's say the day before, he's just gotten his money, it's in his accounts, 
got his notification, he's packing up his things, and you, you walked into his room, his name's Jeff. Hey, Jeff, hey, man, like, what does inheritance mean to you right now? Like, what, what, what does being an heir or having inheritance, like, what does it mean? I guarantee you would have a lot to do with independence, with money, with getting everything you want and getting out of that uh, one-horse town. Inheritance gave him this sort of permission or this invitation to, in his own strength, go and find himself. Go and find him, his, his true self. That's what I guarantee his answer would have been. Packing up his things. Yeah, you know, Sean, this is... Blah, 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 blah. I'm out. And then I guarantee you, if you went and after this whole process, and he's back in this party now, and this party's winding down, the music's kind of going... They're turning the music off and the lights are up and you went along Jeff and he said, hey Jeff, like, tell me what inheritance means to you now. What do you think his answer would have been? He would have probably given you a different story, right? He probably would have said, you know what, Sean, inheritance actually has everything to do with being home and being found in my father's house. In Romans 8 verse 9, it says, When the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of Christ, you are not of Him. How that sentence can actually be structured is if you are not joined to the Spirit of Christ, you cannot be yourself. It's quite a different way of looking at it sounds so you're not of him actually the construct can be read as you are not yourself and guess what that same construct is found in luke 15 17 when the son comes to his senses and when it says humiliated the son finally realized what he was doing he came to his senses that same construct is found here romans 8 verse 9 if you are not of the spirit of christ you cannot be yourself and so the son thought that to be himself he needed to find himself in his own independence, breaking away from the four walls of his father's house and conquering his fears. And it makes sense because that's probably most of our stories. You know, we left home and we went and out to find ourselves. This prodigal son has gone on one wild adventure of missing the point. And now in Luke 15, 17, it says he comes to the end of himself humiliated he realizes he comes to his senses and that's an amazing place to be i love it you can read through the gospels and you see a lot of the times where jesus just brings people to the end of themselves by just saying one little thing just putting a little seed that you're like yeah. and in matthew 5 which is known as sermon on the mount Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the weak, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he says in verse 17 that he has not come to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill the law and usher in this new way of relating to him as father. And he comes and he, he's saying, I'm doing something you definitely cannot do. And that time there, there were like, like 613 laws in the Jewish culture. He fulfilled every single one of them. And we couldn't keep two out of the ten that we could remember. You know? And he has he coming 613. In six hours on the cross, he fulfilled 613 laws. Anyway, so he carries on. And then right at the end, he ends this beautiful 
moments on the grass and the hills. He says, be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. Now I'm going to just paint a picture if I was there that day or along with everyone else. So he's preaching. I'm like, yes, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes, blessed are the, are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Boom, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. If I was there that day, it probably would have gone like this. Jesus, sorry, um, have you looked up what the word perfect means? And you'd be like, I'm, I'm, I know what the word perfect means. Yeah, look, I'm a bit of a wordsmith. Um, it means to exist whole. Exist complete. Eh? Jesus is like, oh, yeah, it's just, that's, hmm. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he carries on talking to his disciples. I'm like, sorry, Jesus. I don't know if you heard me. Um, it means to exist complete. Can't do that. I'm I'm not complete. Jesus is like, yeah, no, it's true. Be be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect, and He carries on. And I'm like, Jesus, okay, no, this is this is getting a bit harder. Um, how how am I going to do this? I can't just exist complete as my Father in heaven is complete, because I'm not perfect. There's going to be a process. I need to walk. It's impossible. Oh, and Jesus is like, hmm, I like that word. Tell me more. Yeah, it's impossible. How am I going to... I can't just, whoops, wake up and I'm complete. He's like, yeah. I need like divine intervention or something. And then he's like, oh, it's impossible and you need divine intervention. I may know someone. (laughs) Jesus graciously brings us to the end of ourselves to realize we need him. And so this is that moment for the prodigal son. He realizes he cannot carry on in his own strength. He came to his senses. But he was never not a beloved son. When he reached the end of himself, he realized who he truly was. And that he could run back home. I've read this parable a lot over the years. It's funny how, like some days, I find safety and I hide behind the fact that I'm an older son, perhaps a bit entitled, and feeling like I'm trying to earn God's favor through my efforts, I've found solace in that fact that the Lord has been gracious to me and reminds me of my sonship. Okay? Then there's some days I read that and I find solace in the fact that I'm this guy who doesn't know what he's doing and he's squandered everything, but I've been welcomed in by grace. You, you know, I've found safety there and I've found safety there. I've, I've hid behind my sonship, and, if you would say But now, maybe just because I'm 37, and I read this, I just want to be the father in the picture. Surely he is the one we should want to identify when you read that scripture, right? Shouldn't he be the one that we want to identify with? He's the picture of steadfastness, of unwavering grace and peace and unconditional love. That is what the son is running home to. And I believe within this thing called inheritance, is an invitation. An invitation not into independence and finding yourself out on your own and living in your own strength, but what if the invitation within inheritance is to the Father? Our inheritance is the Father. In the son coming to his senses, he thought he was returning home to be a slave. Okay, his repentance speech? It's okay, I'll just be one of your employees. He was going to get back into his duties and to 
kind of in some way to pay back all the stuff that he'd squandered. It's like, oh, it's supper time. Don't worry, Father, thanks for my supper. I'm going to go out and eat with the dogs. You know? <laughs> I hope this is going to pay back and, and show you how. No. He was returning to grace. He was returning to acceptance. He was returning to love and compassion. He was returning to his father as a beloved son. He was returning to his true inheritance. Which ties in wonderfully with the scripture I want to read in Romans 8.15. 8.15 to 17. It says, And you did not receive the spirits of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. That's the prodigal's repentance speech. You know what? Let me go back and be treated as an employee. No. It's not what we've been called. That's not the spirit of Christ. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. As he whispers in our inmost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being glorified with Him, provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. That's a whole other preach, that last line. I just told Rob before we started. That added 20 minutes to my preach this morning, so I cut it out. But I re- it's, it, just that last line, suffer, co-glorifying because we suffer with Him is the most profound thing ever. Okay, But that's for another day. So it speaks of we are heirs. Okay, if we are children, then we are heirs. The definition of the word heir is a person who inherits and continues the work of a predecessor, a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another upon that person's death. That's the Oxford Dictionary version. In the Greek, the word heir is translated as possessor. Wow, that's a different way to, when I read the word heir, I'm a possessor of God. I'm a possessor of the Father. For indeed, we are heirs of the Father himself. For indeed, we are possessors of the Father himself. The prodigal son's returning to the Father is an invitation to now become like the Father. The way that the Father's heart has turned towards the sons would be made manifest in their own speech and in their own actions, and in their own life. You follow me? Don't forget who Jesus is talking to. I come back to what I said before. He is talking to people who have no spiritual compass. And then he's talking to people that have the answer for everything. That's who he's talking to here. That's who he chooses to articulate the Father's heart to. So in this inheritance, we're invited to become like the Father. Becoming like the Father wasn't just one important aspect among many others of Jesus' ministry. Becoming the Father was Jesus' main message. He is the model. Jesus is a model for our knowing and becoming like the Father. In Him, the fullness of God dwells, or the knowledge of God resides in Him, or the glory, or the power. His unity was so intimate. Jesus' unity was so intimate with the Father that when Philip 
comes up to him in John 14, 8, and he says, Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm a mirror reflection. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And maybe that's Jesus' version of being an heir. That if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus shows the world that the Father's ways are not about religious duty. You haven't been saved to go back into a religious duty of never feeling good enough. But it's about an intimate relationship that is so intimate that when the disciples ask him, Jesus, you've spoken about him, you've told us that you're in union with him, show us him. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I promise you, they probably asked that because they never would have thought that the Father would have taken the time to be revealed in the person of Jesus and to walk the dust of the earth and to carry their shame and to allow himself to be surrounded by these so-called people that are meant to discredit his ministry. Maybe they couldn't believe that to be true, that this is the Father we have. So they say, show us the Father. It's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The natural maturing of our lives, the natural flow of our walks as Christians is that we're not just children who have been shown extreme and radical grace, but as heirs, we release the same extravagant grace to others. And we're not just children who have been shown extravagant compassion, but as heirs, we release the same extravagant passion and compassion to others. If we are children, then we are heirs, possessors of the nature of our Father, heirs of the Father Himself. Thanks, Kirst. <laughs> the Father in the story could sound a little fictional, right? like Bob Saget from Full House. <laughs> Too good to be true. He's such a legend of a dad. I remember growing up. Do you ever remember Full House? Yeah. Any 37-year-olds out there? <laughs> but he was fictional to me for a very long time. So we do. What's our natural thing? If something's not real to us, we find it in other things. Other fictional things. I never had a perfect picture of a father. And my whole journey has been one of finding out who he is. Maybe at um, this moment, you know, or, or moments in life, we can feel a bit like the older brother. You know, you're observing. You're not fully sure that you are loved as much as you are. And so you observe. You see all this lavish grace and affection being shared on everyone else except yourself. You know, maybe it's everything's at arm's length for you now. But in this parable, what it tells us is that the father... His heart went out to both of those sons, right? He wanted both to sit around the table. The one that said, you're, you're dead to me, and the one that says, like, haven't I done enough? Don't you see me? He wants both those sons at the table. Some of us have horrendous stories that offer plausible reasons for low self-esteem or self-worth. Like, again, in my own life, I have tried. I've tried uh, over the years when, be, be, like, let's talk 10, 15 years ago, where I was doing everything, meeting all the guys, made sure I had mentors, and that guy's this for that, and this guy talk about this. I read my word, I studied. I, I, I was on a quest to be the best version of Jesus on this earth, to please him. The one thing I read when I read this parable 
is that it says the Father sees me coming from a mile away. Interesting. So he was standing on his porch every day, looking into the distance. He saw him coming from far off, and he ran out to him, which tells me that he wants to find me as much as I want to find him. He wants to find me all these years after, as much as I want to find him. From a, mile, from a long way off, he saw me. The question shouldn't be, how am I to love you more? How am I to know you more? The question should be, how can I allow myself to be loved by you more? How can I allow myself to be known by you more? No matter what you're going through, the Father is looking into the distance of your own life and always calling you home and always calling you back to your true inheritance. He is always calling you to himself. The prodigal son is a story about a love that existed before any rejection was possible. The prodigal story is about a love that exists after any rejection that's coming. This love existed way before it, and it will exist continually after it. It's an everlasting love. Jesus' whole life and preaching had only one aim, to reveal the inexhaustible, unlimited love that is always there and that always welcomes us home and always celebrates us. Again, remember who he was speaking to. He was telling them he has a theological understanding of the Father. One thing that this, another thing that this prodigal son tells us is that we did not choose God. He chose us. From all eternity, we are hidden in the shadow of his wings and we, we are written in the palm of his hand. It says he loves us with an everlasting first love. And what I liken first love to is, you know when you have a kid and you've got years of dreaming up this child and then you've got that nine-month wait and then the child arrives and you pick him up and I held Seth for the first time and instantly... Seth was met with lavish, exceedingly abundant, overwhelming, unlimiting love. And there's nothing that he did to earn that love. And there was nothing that he did to take that love away. There was nothing he could do to stop that lavish expression of love. That to me is first love. When someone said first love, the first love is that he loved me first. Before I could even say I love you. Before I could get up and show him how well I could tie my shoelaces. How well I could ride a bike. How well I could do this. I could do he loves us with the first love. He is our first love. When you were born, you were instantly met with exceedingly abundant, more love that you could even handle. And nothing you did earned it. And nothing you can say could ever take it away. It's everlasting. So good luck trying to tell me that you can take away his love. It's an everlasting love. First love. Sure way to start developing this picture of a, of, a, of a father is to look at Jesus. Spend time in the Gospels, read about Jesus, because outside of Jesus there would be no revelation of the father. Have you ever thought about that? Without Jesus coming, I don't know how we would have had a revelation of the father. The father, the father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So look at Jesus. If you've seen him, you've seen the father. Henry Nouwen says, Here is a father I want to believe in. A father who from the beginning of creation has stretched out his arms in merciful kindness 
but never forcing himself on anyone, but always waiting, never letting his arms down, never letting his arms drop down in despair, but always hoping that his children will return so that he can speak words of love to them and let his tired arms rest on their shoulders. His only desire is to bless. Ephesians 1 verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing spoken in the heavenly realm. The word blessed literally means to say good things, to offer the seal of holy approval. He doesn't remind us of our mistakes. He doesn't remind us of our hurts or our pains. He wants to speak good things over us. He wants to affirm us of this holy seal of approval. It's quite a thought. I want to end with the scripture. That time went very quickly. I think it's rigged. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Now if anyone is enfolded with Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. That old order is our efforts, our skills, our strategies. The old order, the way we related to God, has, it's gone and vanished. Matthew 5, 17, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it and to usher in a new way of re re relating to the Father. To be perfect is imperfect. To bring us to the end of ourselves. We need you, Jesus. We need a Savior who can do what only you can do. That is what that means. It's vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of Christ, the anointed one, who carry the message of Christ to the world, as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. The return of the prodigal son to the father is the return to his true inheritance. Our inheritance is the father. Our inheritance is to become like the father. If we are children, then we are heirs. Possessors of the father, carrying his nature and this message of reconciliation to those around us. Amen. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.co.za.